Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 171st videocast, 161st podcast for the week ending January 26, 2023. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to try to keep this week's episode a little shorter. Two of the three last ones were an hour and a half with all the AMA questions, so we'll try to cut it down a little bit and get right down to it. A couple important things to cover, but uh, first we'll go through the media real quick. I want to thank Ninar Kiruz and Phil Yin, the host, for having me on CGTN America last night to discuss Amazon. Definitely worth checking out. I know we've been talking about that. I uh, want to thank uh, Ankika Biswas and Bansari Kamdar for having me on the, in their Reuters article today uh, regarding the data that came out this morning on employment, on uh, we had uh, uh, inflation numbers, we had a bunch of stuff which we'll discuss. Also want to thank Meta Singh and Ankika Biswas again for uh, also having me in an article today, a uh, second article. And Herb Lash and Alun John for having me in Reuters a few days ago uh, regarding the uh, tech and earnings. So we'll start with the quote of the day. Oh, and by the way, a couple of you have reached out, you know, why don't you do this show and why don't you do this show more frequently or why don't you do this station, etc. Um, you know, they listen to their audience. So if you want uh, me or anyone else to be on a particular station or a particular show, just reach out to the hosts and the producers on uh, social media or email them directly. You can find their emails uh, and let them know what you want and they will comply. You know, they, they work for the audience, uh, just like I work for you here uh, in the podcast. And, and that's how it all works. So um, uh, you'll have much more success than, than uh, reaching out to me and asking me to go on XYZ show, uh, which, you know, I'd love to. I, I enjoy doing it. And when people ask, I say yes. So. Um, moving on to the quote of the week, I uh, want to uh, summon Warren Buffett, the, the, the master. He said, long ago, Ben Graham taught me that price is what you pay, value is what you get, whether talking about socks or stocks. I like buying quality merchandise when it's marked down. And for those of you who have been with me uh, for a while, you've seen it over and over and over, whether it was banks and energy in 2020 whether it was Cooper Standard and uh, Alibaba last last year and buying all the stuff when everyone was panicking in the hole uh, in October and November and, uh, and June and September of last year. And now it's all starting to play out. And, and going in those areas where no one would have touched, look what's leading this year is tech. When we were talking about that in November and talking about semiconductors, people looked at us like we uh, had two heads and that's how it's playing out. And it's not having a crystal ball. It's, it's you know, this is our specialty. We, we excel in periods of dislocation. We excel in sector rotation uh, and then finding the best uh, risk reward opportunities within those groups. Uh, moving along, uh, my friend Philip uh, from Dubai sent this to me. Excited to see him in a couple of weeks coming, coming back to New York. Um, uh, an interview with Sir John Templeton and just bringing back up the basics. You know, the time of maximum pessimism is the best time to buy, which we saw late, late last year. And the time of maximum optimism is the best time to sell. We're nowhere near that. Uh, we're not going to be that near that until we break out to new highs. And then people are still going to be skeptical. They'll be saying this is a wave five of an Elliott wave special super pattern and they're going to miss the whole thing. And why are they going to miss it? Because they're going to say 
logically, how can the market make new highs when earnings are still going down? And the answer is for anyone who's read a history book is because it happens every single time. The stock market bottoms six to 12 months before earnings bottom. And as soon as uh, earnings season's over, which is basically next week when tech earnings are over, 2020 is gone. And guess what people start looking at? Not 2023, which is $220 of S&P earnings, 2024, which is $252, which puts us at 15 times, 15 and a half times forward, which looks cheap relative to everything that's happening. So we discounted the hell that's coming in terms of uh, numbers this year, last year, and we're going to discount the heaven that's coming next year uh, in the stock market this year. And that's why in our interviews in late 2022, uh, we kept saying, people say, well, how does next year look? And I said, economy or stock market? They said, what do you mean? What's the difference? I said, well, the difference is the economy is going to get a little worse and the, and the stock market's going to get a little bit better. And they said, well, how the, how's that possible? I said, because we've, we've discounted the bad economic uh, data that's coming and uh, the market will start to look forward to 2024 once we're we're a number of weeks or, or a couple of months into 2023 and that's what's taking place right now but the key thing that's been on everyone's mind is cooper standard uh, for those of you brand new we put this out uh, to the podcast in may we put it out uh, to the claim and countdown on fox business uh, in june our june 7th actually our basis is 550 uh and uh you know it's run up now to 13 14 bucks uh then you know pulled back a little bit uh to the high 12s i think it's today uh yeah maybe right around 13. so it's up you know more than 120 something percent uh and I think just beginning and I, I when I say just beginning, it's not just beginning like in terms of what's it going to do next week or next month. I'm talking this is a three to four, three to five year view. I think it could actually happen much faster. And what I want to point out today is the press release uh, January 23rd, because people reached out to me and said, well, how do you read this? What do you mean? How do I read it? I read it exactly like it says it on the page. So. What it says is Cooper Standard announces expiration and final results of the previously announced concurrent notes offering, exchange offering, consent solicitation for existing senior notes and refinancing transactions. For those of you new to the movie, um, Cooper Standard is an auto supplier. They supply uh, all the sealing systems around the doors and windows and windshields, uh, fuel delivery, brake, uh, fluid, fluid systems, cooling systems in, in EVs, etc., uh, and like every cycle, they collapse when demand collapses. In this case, demand collapse. Demand didn't collapse. Supply collapsed because they couldn't get chips. Auto chips have started rolling in since June because uh, the demand for computers and electronics has uh, slowed down because everyone bought all of the iPhones and iPads and washers and dryers that they needed in 2020 and 2021 while they were sitting at home and working from home. So that's cooled. The capacity, excess capacity was reallocated to auto. Uh, those chips are coming in and now supplies coming on board. And the best thing that's happened is Tesla cut prices. So, you know, Ford and GM were selling above, above sticker for two years because they could get away with it. Now they're getting supply on the market uh, and you're going to see dealer incentives. So in a 7% interest rate environment, you're going to see 0% APR, 2.9% APR, and people are going to flock to it. Why? 
because the average car on the road is 13.1 years. So on a normalized basis, when the IHS uh, production gets back up to 2017 levels, which they anticipate by 2024, 2025, uh, even if it took to 2026, this company earned historically about $7.20 a share. We believe they'll make more of this cycle, even though they sold off the vibration business, because the contracts that they've signed with the OEMs are uh, index-based now, the vast majority, and their mix is now getting to be more and more skewed toward EVs. They actually make more money, about 20% more per EV than they do per ICE, so it's a free option on the green uh, movement and uh, we think this business will earn six seven eight dollars a share at a trough multiple that it's historically traded at you put 10 times it's a lot higher than right now for those of you who are slow with math that's 10 times 8 10 times 6 we're at uh, 13 dollars right now and for the for a peak multiple they've traded as high as 20 times and uh and that's a that's a lot higher so this is you know already uh, a double plus this is going to be a many multi-bagger in our view and the biggest risk, why were we able to buy it at $5.50 a share down from 141 and its 217 peak? Because there was a severe risk of, um, uh, basically it was trading like it was going to go bankrupt and they wouldn't be able to refinance the debt that was coming due, uh, you know, um, at the end of the year. And this press release, which the first press release came out in December, December 19th, saying that they had this deal and they had the backstop. And what's interesting is December 19th, look carefully at this date. That's when the press release came out, which basically says, we've got a deal. We've got the deal backstopped. Here's what it's going to look like. And, you know, you would have thought the stock would jump. And look what happened. December 19th, okay? December 19th is right here. Let me just show this to you. Okay, so they put out the press release. The stock's trading down, you know, from 141 down to $5. And they put out the press release and no one believes it. So December 19th, the stock goes down on the press release. <laughs> the whole stock is trading down because of fear of bankruptcy. They basically say bankruptcy's off the table. So not one day for the people to digest it. Two days go by, three days go by, it rallies a little bit, then they still don't believe it. Four days, five days. So from the 19th to the 27th, literally eight days, nothing happens with the stock. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, from December 28th to uh, January 11th, the stock goes from six bucks to 14 and a half bucks literally overnight uh, unbelievable which is surprising it didn't do it right after the 19th and we're facing the exact same thing right now they basically just told you okay that they got uh okay previously announced they they uh had 518 million of the 600 uh, of the 600 uh, of the 580 validly subscribed remember the deal expired on january 18th at midnight uh okay so they got uh 518 million of this 580 and the backstop if you remember fully backstop stepped up with the 61 million dollars uh and they got more than 51 percent of the consents that they needed they got 89.36 okay of the consents and guess what is happening 
the exact same thing. Remember? Press release, December 19th. 10 days later until the stock starts to move. Oh, maybe this is good news. You think? Uh, basically, by the way, what this does is it moves all their maturities out to 2027. So even if you're a pessimistic bear and you think we're going into a deep recession this year, which we're not in that camp, but let's say you are, you're one of the triple break putt people who, by the way, their first two breaks have been wrong and their ball is now in the sand trap, by the way. But leaving that aside, um, even if you're in that group, you got 2023, you've got 2024, you've got liquidity to 2025. So even if you had a three-year recession and unemployment went to 8%, they've got enough liquidity to get them to the other side. Uh, we think that this is going to be soft landing uh, and the Fed is going to follow suit with Bank of Canada. And in, in that light, with the pent-up demand for new cars with dealer incentives, used cars are going to be a train wreck. They are going to collapse uh, uh, there's not the financing, there's not the incentives, uh, there's, you know, a whole slew of things, but new cars are going to do well. And we think this is going to happen faster than the IHA, th I IHS thinks. And on that basis, you know, six, seven, eight dollars a share. But listen, look at this, what's happening again. So the press release comes out, uh, on, I think, well, I don't have to think. All I have to do is read it. January 23rd. And they're saying, we got the consents, we got the backstop, and what's happening? The market's doing nothing again. And why is that? This is such a show-me market and such a skeptical market. I'll tell you why, in both cases, why the market didn't respond right away. Uh, here's the key line that the lawyers have to write in every deal, in every press release. So what they wrote was... Uh, ba, 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 ba. this community eligibility. Oh, here it is. So, December 19th, the refinancing transactions may not be consummated on the terms described in this press release or at all. The complete terms and conditions of the refinancing transactions are set forth in the offering mem memorandum. So, remember that sentence because it's the exact same sentence that their lawyers copied and pasted on the 23rd. The refinancing transactions may not be cons consummated on the terms or at all. The complete terms and conditions of the refinancing transaction are set forth in a memorandum. And it's like the market, it's like, it's such a show me. So anyway, the point is the settlement date, it, when the money actually goes into their bank account, this is basically as they've laid out, they received the consents, they got the backstop, they got the exchange, they got everything that they needed. Um, but the settlement date is tomorrow. Uh, where does it say that? Uh, it might be in the SEC filing. Um, anyway, so it's tomorrow. So my guess is, well, look, I guess there's, look, there is a possibility that the refinancing transactions may not be consummated. I can't understand how that would possibly be and then how they wouldn't have recourse anyway because they have the backstop agreement signed. But leaving that aside, uh, my guess is it gets done and funded tomorrow on settlement day. And then if I'm the company, just like they did on this last press release, they'll probably wait till Monday morning. They don't want to put out such good news on a Friday night when no one's around. They probably want to put it out on Monday morning before the market's open when the market will finally believe. And then we may see some, some further follow through or we may not. For, for me, 
it doesn't matter if the if the stock goes up to 20 or 25 dollars uh because the money actually transferred because it's not going to stay there if they don't get to six seven eight dollars uh in earnings over the next two three years uh on the flip side if it went back down to five dollars which it won't but let's just say it did that would be an opportunity to buy because i know they've got um liquidity till 2027 once this is completed and i know the supply demand equation of new cars uh irrespective of a short-term recession uh and that would just be an unbelievable gift from heaven so for me it doesn't really matter what it does what is likely to happen in my view i think we're going to see a similar situation where after the final press release is done and it's funded and everyone realizes wow bankruptcy is not on the table this traded down from 141 down to five because bankruptcy was on the table bankruptcy is now off the table not only that everything's looking good they're in a better supply demand situation than they've ever been in in the history of the company and i think we should get a, a little more juice in the short term but i don't really care about it doesn't make a difference to me if it's at 25 dollars or 20 dollars in february or march or april because when i look 24 months out i think that the stock's going to be well above uh meaningfully higher and you you assign whatever multiple you want but on a five six seven dollars a share of earnings at 10 to 20 times multiple 25 dollars is nothing it's absolutely nothing and it's and it's worthless to even think about that um the other thing that you could think about is even in the middle of the pandemic before there was the uh semiconductor shortage i think they did about 30 million of ebitda this quarter uh, and the stock shot up from, you know, it was at 12 bucks here and it shot up to $35 on one good quarter. Um, uh, so I think we could get some further follow through on this news and then we get earnings next quarter, et cetera. So it wouldn't surprise me to see this thing shoot up in the short term. But again, I really don't care about the short term. What I care about is number one, which it was a play on, is bankruptcies off the table. And we'll know that in 72 hours or whatever it's going to be. And number two uh, is that the business starts to improve, but not even the business. It really has nothing to do with Cooper Standard. All I have to look at is the IHS cars. If XYZ cars are produced, new cars are produced, which will start to improve probably the back half of this year. I, I think their consensus is like, I forget what GM said, 14 million up from 13. Uh, anything above where they were this year, that, that's a positive um you know the the stock's going to go up with the ihs because based on the ihs is their bottom line so they can execute they've proven they can execute through once in a hundred year events with no cars they still figured out a way to get it done this is high quality management key reason why i bought the stock in the first place number one they own shares both management and the board uh you know 20 years at johnson controls uh was you know blessed to to speak directly with the company uh in the early days um and they respect equity okay if you look at the share count over the last 10 years it's gone down not up and finally management gets incentivized based on return on invested capital which is what's important to me they respect equity they respect the business they've handled this like pros and they got a financing done in the most difficult circumstances that we've seen in many years and my hat is off uh for them getting it done because it's it's going to be easy sledding from here on out uh that they got the hardest thing done so kudos to them and for everyone who had the questions about that there there you go 
Um, want to go through commodities because we've done a lot of like sector indicators in recent weeks and you can go back and review those and sentiment and uh, things related to equities. But the equities are playing out as we said that they would. So let's just focus on big picture stuff. The U.S. dollar, we look at the commercial hedgers. And if you recall our thesis around emerging markets when we were pounding the table and China and Alibaba, which is our number one position, uh, although I don't know, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's it's neck and neck because CPS has doubled, even though it started smaller, more than doubled. Um, but anyway, it's one of our top three positions. It was predicated on once the dollar stopped going up, emerging markets would take off. And that's exactly what's happened. And you see it over and over. So they were short. And this is where we were saying, bye, bye, bye. The dollar went a little longer. And once it turned over, emerging markets, Alibaba, China, all off to the races. And the same thing is happening. And we think this is going to persist. You may get some counter trend rallies. But uh, on balance, that's looking good. Let's take a look at some of the other uh, commodities. Bitcoin, uh, no interest. Okay, moving right along. Okay, the euro is has been strengthening. We talked about this in the fall. Uh, you know, so what were commercials doing? They were buying into the weakness. They're basically hedging, but I, I like to keep it simple. Simple. And when you see that type of thing, it can take a while to build a base, but there'll, there'll be some follow through. Same thing you saw here. They were buying ahead of this monster move in 2006 to 2008. Uh, so this can last for a long time and that strength can persist with counter trend rallies along the way. So I would expect the US dollar to trend lower over time. We're due for a counter trend rally, a little strength in the dollar, a little bounce, but the trend is, is the key. And um, non-US like Euro, Pound, Australian Dollar. Uh, again, you can see them buying here ahead of this strength. I think those are going to persist. And that's, you know, that makes perfect sense that the Australian Dollar would strengthen now that China is growing again. Uh, British Pound, same thing. Everyone was worried about Britain. I think the Pound is going to go higher and higher over the next few years. Um, probably a time if you can buy property over there. Um, you know, all the Russians have had to dump uh, and the pound is still very low. Historically speaking, there's still a lot of recession fears and inflation fears, even though inflation is rolling over. So there's probably a window if you want to buy a huge country estate out there where there's no ready, ready market from the Russians. The Chinese are just now getting out of quarantine, kind of beat the Chinese to the punch. If you own New York real estate, get ready if you're pessimistic about it. The Chinese are going to be buying like crazy, just like the Russians were in 2006 to 2008 uh, in New York City. So uh, so those markets are going to get a bid for all you real estate people that that, uh, you know, I would keep an eye on that. I've got some land in Portugal that uh, I'm just holding now as a as a uh, euro hedge. So uh, not a euro hedge. I think the euro is going higher and I think, you know, supply and demand in Algarve is really good. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, Canadian dollar, same thing. Uh, that's going to get stronger for the Canadians on the call. Uh, yours is going to get much stronger as ours gets weaker. Uh, Japanese yen, same thing. No one could have imagined, but look what commercials were doing. They were getting ahead of it. Um, okay, I don't know what happened there. Let's see if we can... Uh, I must have pressed the wrong thing. Let's just get through currencies. I want to just take a look at some of the grains so we can get a sense of inflation a few months out. Okay. All right. So Australian, uh, where are we at here? There we go. 
Australian dollar we covered, uh, British pound, Canadian dollar, Japanese yen, Swiss franc, same thing. You, you, you can see it over and over. This stuff just becomes obvious over time. Mexican peso, by the way, Mexican equities will cover new, new highs. New Zealand dollar, same story, based on China. Uh, Brazilian real, this one's tricky. Uh, I have no view on Brazil. As I said last week, I'm holding a starter position in a few stocks, but it, low conviction with Lula. Um, I think I think a number of them can work, but my emerging markets all in on China. I mean, that's that's where we we positioned ourselves last year. Maybe I'll dabble some more in Brazil. I, I just don't like the setup as much, so I'm not going to force it. Um, <coughs> South African Rand. This one is really interesting. I've been watching this for years, and I know this is going to be a monster trade at some point, and it might be now, but I think there needs political change, and I haven't followed it closely enough. So that's one I'm going to keep a closer eye on, some South African equities and currencies, because I think that's ready to go. I've got to, got to understand the political climate a little bit better. So let's move on to Russian ruble. Is that trading? No. Okay. Um, not on the futures market. Uh, crude. Crude, we got to keep an eye on. Uh, the commercials haven't been as great of an indicator, but they are hedging longer. And that makes sense with the um, China reopening. So you could potentially see some strength in the commodity i'm i'm still agnostic on this and i have been you know everyone was super bulled up here uh i'm going to just stay agnostic on that for now uh I, i'm you know agnostic on this the equities as well it's just it's past it's not i like things when they're just so obvious like like buffett talks about you keep it's a no strike game meaning in baseball if it goes down the middle and you don't swing, you get strikes against you and you get three strikes and you're out. In the investing business, unlike the entrepreneur business, when you're building a business, you get paid for doing stuff, taking action, moving fast, making mistakes, breaking things over and over, massive action. In investing, it's the exact opposite. You're paid for passing, not acting, sitting tight with the high quality things that you've made, Finding reasons not to take action is where you make all the money in this business. So um, so I only go for the obvious things that are just right down the middle. I'll miss a few of the strikes down the middle, but it's not a three-strike game. All you have to do is get that fat pitch, and you're off to the race. As a matter of fact, my friend John called me and said that thank you for CPS. It was his best trade. And uh, I said, trade? Why Why would you be out of it? Uh, but he wants – he thinks – Anyway, he also shared an amazing thing uh, about uh, the Fed. We were kind of chatting back and forth. And he said, you know, the Fed is like the worst guest you can ask for at a party. They show up super late. Then they, then they get drunk. Then they stay too long. And then they never leave. And that's exactly what the Fed has done uh in this in this cycle is they showed up too late they were transitory 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 and uh then they drank too much with you know four 425 basis points in less than a year 
uh, and now they're staying at the party too long. So hopefully they'll get the message from the Bank of Canada and we're going to cover that in a minute. So let's just get through a few more of these commodities so you can get the macro picture of what's going on. And that's what we do, top down and then bottom up. Uh, RBOB, we're going to pass on that. Natural gas is interesting. Natural gas has rolled over quite a bit. And some of the natural gas stocks are starting to look like buys again. The ones that are just exclusively focused on natural gas. And we've got a couple in our portfolio that we're considering uh, re-adding to uh like uh you know we'll we'll probably get more into that in coming weeks i think this can go i think natural gas can go lower but i think those are going to be rebuys pretty soon um let's take a look here so i'm more sanguine on the gas producers that have come down a lot than i am on the uh emp that are oil focused that haven't come down enough in my view um Okay, here are bonds. We've been talking about this. This is the bottom. Looks like it's in. We'll get some counter trend moves. But um, but we like that. Uh, what else are we looking at here? Um, all right, let's see. Two-year notes, all the same thing, telling us the same story. Fed funds, same thing. Euro dollar, the same same story. Uh, corn. Corn is interesting. So you've seen um, commercials get aggressively short here at near record highs. They did the exact same thing during this double top. And then here, and people are bulled up, by the way. I talked to a uh, guy who's in the business, and, and uh, he's all bulled up. And what, what I'm seeing here is with commercials hedging this aggressively, you may get some counter-trend moves, but I, I think corn is going to absolutely collapse over the next year uh, based on how this is setting up. I would say a uh, similar story with soybeans. Less clear, but probably a similar story. They usually trade together. Um, soybean meal looks like a no-brainer. Uh, short over the next 24 months. Uh, soybean oil. Okay, these are pretty much the same stories. Let's see here. Wheat is already broken. Uh, wheat, I'm agnostic at these levels. It's already kind of cracked. It probably goes down a bit more, but I, I wouldn't take a position either way. Um, it, we're just trying to get a feel here in this. Let's see here. Oats could care less. There's not much liquidity. Rough rice, not interesting. Actually, I want to see rough rice because he was very bullish on rough rice. Um, they've been selling here. Eh, I don't know. You could have a blow off. I'd probably be inclined to take the other side, but it's not my game anyway. Um. All right, let's see. S&P, S&P, look at commercial hedgers. This is interesting. So you look here, they got extremely long monster multi-year rally. They got here extremely long monster multi-year rally, um, et cetera. Here's an exception that didn't work here long monster multi-year rally. So so they're they're getting monster long with smart money. So. Uh, same thing, uh, NASDAQ is unclear, uh, but the 
Russell, if I look, this did the Dow long, um, the Russell, look how long they are. I mean, they, they haven't been this long since down here and here. That was a multi-year monster rally, uh, almost 100% in two years, and they're just extreme here. So small caps, we've been pounding the table on that. Cooper fits into that bucket. Um, VIX is rolling over. Might get some counter trend on that. All right. So there's a lot here, but I, I think this is pretty valuable. to Now, this one, live cattle. Um, these can trend for a while. So I would... I would wait till you see this crack. It's still uptrend. They're getting short, but these could run another year. That's going to be an incredible short, uh, probably at some point. Feeder cattle. This might have room to run. I agree with uh, with my buddy on that. On those two, uh, lean hogs, uh, agnostic. All right. We're going to get to the equity stuff, but it's important to get the broad overview because you, you just get caught up in companies and you miss what's going on around the world and you don't have the proper context. Uh, butter could care less. But what you're seeing with most of the foods and softs, the grains and the softs, is that they're rolling over. Gold, everyone wants to know about gold. Everyone is so convinced that this is going to break out to new highs. It certainly could. Um Certainly could. They're net buyers. Um, I have no view. I really have no view on gold. I could see. I could see both sides, and and it's just not a game I play. I don't invest in non-productive assets, whether it's Bitcoin or gold. It's all the same to me. Bit, gold is better in the sense that it's scarce and it's got thousands of years of history. So you have the Lindy effect. Things that have been around. The longer things are around, the longer the likelihood they are to continue to be around. Uh, but uh, copper here, commercials have been buying. So now, you know, with China reopening, you could see a rally in copper. Okay, so that's the exception. The grains and the softs are going down. Maybe copper gets a little bit here. That would make sense. Um, palladium, agnostic. Uh, aluminum, aluminum, not enough information. Cotton. Cotton probably continues down a little bit more, but at some point it's going to be a buy. But again, this is just showing you on a lag basis what we're going to see in the stores. And for clothing retailers, are going to have lower input costs moving forward. Uh, margins are going to be better. They couldn't have been any worse uh, when you had cotton at basically record highs uh, last year. That was the worst possible year you could be in the clothing business. And... Uh, and then you see it improving. And if you look at retailers 2012 and beyond, that's a home run. And by the way, that's a hint for those of you who have been paying attention for a few weeks. Uh, coffee is rolling over. This will probably bottom at some point, but it could be months off. So again, all the foods and softs are rolling over. That's going to continue to show up in inflation, which is going to be negative by June. And uh, sugar, sugar, no view. That's That one's not clear. Uh, cocoa, no view. That's just been going sideways anyway. That wasn't a real component. Lumber, lumber might get a bid. I think, you know, with the 10 year at 350 or whatever it is, uh, once the Fed stops, I think, and, and also demand in housing actually improved in January because rates came down a little bit. I think that uh, that pent up demand for housing is not going away. 
people just need to see rates stop going up and then start coming down. Uh, you get a you get a thirty year mortgage at six percent. I think I think the game is going to be back on in housing, and that's why we still own the mortgage servicers. Which, by the way, not not the mortgage servicers, the mortgage uh, issuers are starting to come back. By the way, even though the housing market has stopped, you're seeing all of those. Even though the refinancing business is down, they're all coming back. Um, Orange juice. This is a, this is an easy short. Um, let's see. You you wouldn't. By the way, go Google. Nothing's ever easy, by the way, but that setup is pretty ideal. Um, go Google orange juice. Everything you read, you'll be you'll be like, oh, I want to be long. There's never going to be another orange ever grown because of the harvest, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've, I've, I've been to this movie many, many, many times. Uh, okay, moving right along, let's get to some China headlines and then we'll uh, get, get to it here. Beijing's top economic advisor tells Davos, CEO, Davos CEOs China is back. Okay, we covered some of that last week. Chinese LiDAR developer Hesai files for a $100 million US IPO. So the game is back on. It's nice to see that materially back on. Bullish calls mount as Asian stocks go on a tear in the new year. I mean, guys, <laughs> for those of you who have been with me last fall, no one could have ever imagined this. I kept pounding the table. Most people thought I was crazy. It's just starting. We'll get we'll get a pullback here, consolidate some of the gains at uh, some point. Uh, but maybe maybe we don't. Maybe they don't let people in, and it just keeps pushing higher. It doesn't matter to us. It's always been a three year view. And by the way, as as uh, uh, challenging as it was to go through that volatility uh, uh, at the end of last year, I'm so grateful for it because of the amount uh, we were able to size up the position at better prices. It's just exciting especially as we look out over the next 12 to 24 months so growing bullish crowd may supercharge china's stock market guys remember opinion follows trend that's been our theme since we started this podcast three years ago uh and it's just played out over and over and over will china revenge spending follow 2.6 trillion dollar rise in savings it's amazing when you weld people into their own apartments so they can't leave their own apartments <laughs> it's very hard for them to spend money because not only can they not get out but the you know alibaba delivery man uh can't get in so all they do is save money now they've got 2.6 trillion us dollars and they've been let out and they're going on revenge spending like nobody's tomorrow because when you've been locked up that long you say life is short and that's why we're still seeing strong spending in the u.s as we saw in some of the numbers today so the answer is unequivocally you bet and and who's the toll taker for all the spending in china alibaba uh and the casinos by the way which you're seeing today uh which we own them uh off to the races so china says covid deaths severe cases dropped by more than 70 percent that's great Tourist swarm gambling hub Macau over Lunar New Year after COVID curbs dropped. Uh, Year of the Rabbit, it's, you know, they're very into that stuff. And uh, that's good for the stock market, etc. And, and gambling and all the luck things that go along with that. So very exciting to see on that front. Uh, now on to the U.S. Amazon to plow an extra $35 billion into Virginia data centers in cloud race. So on uh, Phil's show last night... I didn't get to talk about it, but uh, uh, Gartner, which is a major uh, uh, tech consulting and research firm, uh, they estimate that the global market for public cloud services is now nearly $600 billion. Amazon controls one-third of the global market. Now, 
by, by the way, that's 50% more than Azure and uh, more than triple the size of Google Cloud. Guess who's got a huge part of the rest? AliCloud has 38% of the cloud market in China, and China is going to be the fastest growth of the cloud in the entire world over the next three years. It's expected to triple by 2025, and AliCloud's share is going to, to grow uh, beyond 38%, and they're going to capture uh, the most of that uh, tripling, and they're going to be growing faster than AWS in other parts of Asia and Eastern Europe uh, faster than AWS. So it's just a monster business and a monster opportunity. So um, so that's that. Uh, and, uh, oh, okay. So this is just all the tech layoffs, which we talked about in recent uh, podcasts. You're going to see more and more headlines. And that's going to lead to uh, politicians coming out as more and more people lose their jobs in their in their constituencies. We haven't seen the politicians yet, but we've seen the layoffs accelerating. I think we're going to see the politicians before we know it. Um, central bankers should prioritize growth over their pride. This is a great article by Marcus Ashworth at Bloomberg. Uh, policymakers risk over-tightening in an effort to restore their inflation-battered credibility. Um, and I think this is the biggest risk. Canada did not make the mistake and we're going to cover how brilliantly they're handling it uh in just a minute so i want to give major props to canada hopefully they can be a model for the rest of the world indonesia followed suit today as well and lael brainerd the only one who seems to have her head on her shoulders over at the fomc unfortunately it now looks like she's going to head over the um economic council in the white house but she says quote there may be some reinsur reassurance that we are not currently experiencing a 1970s wage price spiral. This is nothing like the 1970s. And Powell has his head set that he has to be Volcker. And I continue to say this. And fortunately, this morning on CNBC, Barry Sternlich was the first person who ever said what we've been saying for months. And he said it on uh, Squawk Box, which a lot of important policymakers watch. Hopefully they got the message. And he basically said that raising rates is inflationary. He didn't say it in exactly that way, but he said that you've now got the interest expense quadrupled. You've gone to 4%, 4.25%. That's over a, tr a trillion dollar line item. It's going to be a trillion and two trillion. And that is, we don't collect the receipts to pay that. So what... What that means is they have to print money in order to service the debt and raising rates is more inflationary because the amount that they're going to have to increase the money supply to service the debt because they don't have the money from the tax receipt. So this is a critically important point that they've raised enough to slow the economy. The other thing that's very important to keep in mind, when Volcker was raising to 20%, and I know Powell wants to be Volcker and all that stuff. Debt to GDP was at 33%. He could afford to go to 20% because it was a very small line item in the federal budget. At 120% debt to GDP, the only play that they have is to run inflation above trend. They better pray to God inflation doesn't get down to 2% and pray to God that inflation runs from 3 to 5% for the next 3 to 5 years like they did from 1948 to 1953 
uh, and they inflated debt to GDP. Debt to GDP was uh, 120% in 1948. It got down to 63% by 1953 because they let inflation run above trend. And that's the only prayer that we have to get uh, debt levels back to normalized rates. If they hike, not only are they going to create more inflation, but they're going to create uh, higher debt to GDP, which is why China was rightly out this week saying, don't lecture us, get your debt under control. And that's the only way they're going to do it. So um, uh, Lael Brainerd has a major influence on the board. I, I hope she brings this message to Chair Powell and the other FOMC members. And, you know, the market has baked in that they're going to do 25. The question is, what is their guidance like? Do they go the Canadian way and say, we're going to do 25 and pause? Or do they wait till March when they, you know, do another 25 and pause? But either way, we're at the end and the market market knows that. And that's why you can't hold this market down. No matter how much they try to talk it down, the market wants to go up and people are under position for it. And that's why we're going to keep going up. Uh, defense companies secure record orders. We still, we've been talking about defense. It continues to work. Uh, okay, so here's the article of the week. Friends, famous friends, You've never heard of stock market and sentiment results. This is a song from Chris Young and Kane Brown. Uh, became number one on Billboard in 2021. A great, great song. And so the first famous friend you've never heard of is the governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff McClem. On Wednesday, the Bank of Canada announced its eighth consecutive rate hike since March 22 moving its policy rate to 4.5% from 4.25%. So they've been identical with the U.S. in what they've done. Now, with the announcement, MacLam also signaled a pause at its current rate while the bank assesses the full impact, meaning the lagged effect of its hikes on the economy. MacLam also said that he thinks the bank has, done, quote, done enough and isn't planning to raise rates further. However, if the economy doesn't evolve as Canada's central bank is currently forecasting, i.e. 3% inflation by mid-2023, it may need to raise it rates again. That is logical. That is a rational way to uh, address it. So you can see their inflation got as high as ours. It's also rolling over like ours. They went straight up with rates just like we did. They're stopping at 450. We should do the same. Here are the key quotes of Meclam talking to Joyce Napier of CTV News. Joyce says, you signaled there would be a pause in your rate hikes. Want to ask you, uh, is the worst over and has inflation peaked? He said, Joyce, inflation is still too high, but it's cooling. Uh, so he acknowledges that, but he's still taking the right action. And we do think we've turned the corner or we're turning the corner on inflation and we've done a lot at the Bank of Canada. We've raised our policy rate more than four percentage points over the last year. It's now time to take a pause and see if we've done enough. Next, Napier says, but it is coming down. It's gone from 8.1% to 6.3%. So it's coming down. Is it that it's not fast enough for you? McClam, it's coming down and we think it's going to continue to come down. Apparently their 150 PhDs are smarter than our 150 PhDs who predicted the Fed funds rate would be at 1% last year and it finished at 4.5%. Um, so in, our, in fact, our own forecast is when we get to the middle of the year, we're going to be at about 3% inflation. That's going to feel a lot better. It's not job done, but it's going to feel a lot better. If you look at the numbers in the U.S., when you look at the lagged effect of owner's equivalent rent, it could be zero uh, annualized by uh, June of this year. So 
McClem also said, I don't have a crystal ball. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know. She said, which makes your job a lot harder. And he says, it does because monetary policy works with a lag. At least they've learned that. We've done a lot. We've raised rates. And as you said, more than four percentage points over the year. And we know the effects of these interest rate increases. They're still feeding through the economy. They're being intelligent about that. They're still feeding through the economy. As you said, inflation has come down. We expect it's going to continue to come down. And if it comes down in line with our forecast, we've done enough. If it hasn't, we're prepared to do more. Very smart way to think about things. Uh, Canadians are being much smarter than the Americans right now. What we're looking for is an accumulation of evidence. If that evidence starts to come in line with our forecast, we will become more confident that we've done enough. You know, as I've said in the past, when circumstances changed, as soon as we saw the momentum and inflation, we did move forcefully. We raised rates rapidly and it's working. Uh, we're trying to balance the risk of over-tightening and under-tightening, but the reason we've raised rates so rapidly, so forcefully, was really to try to avoid the need for even higher rates in the future. And it was by raising rates rapidly that we started to cool the economy. We've started, we're starting to get inflation to come down. Had we moved more slowly, we wouldn't be on pause we still we would still be raising and there'd be more pain to come. So this is by far the most important development of the last 12 months in my view. Chair Powell could literally take this transcript and read it at his next, at his press conference next week. I'm not betting that he will because it would make too much sense. He likes to overshoot, stay at the party too late, shows up late, gets drunk, stays at the party, never leaves until the morning. Uh, but uh, hopefully maybe he'll learn from uh, one of our famous friends that you've never heard of. Uh, at the Bank of Canada, and uh, it would be reasonable to expect an iteration of this action and stance, if not on February 1st, which would be ideal, then by the meeting on March 22nd, I would say almost for sure, it's time for the Fed to declare victory and move on. Conditions are tight enough. Look at money supply year on year has gone negative. Uh, our second famous friend that uh, many people have never heard of is Andy Jassy, the CEO that took over running Amazon for Jeff Bezos. He built the AWS business. On Wednesday, I joined Phil Yin on CGTN America to discuss Amazon. Thanks to Phil and Ninar uh, K. Rouse for having me on. And uh, in this segment, we kind of did the sum of the parts analysis. Let me just see if there's anything here that you don't get from the video because we were short on time. I think it was about seven minutes. Uh, well, they talked about the worker strike, which didn't mean anything. It's 300 workers in the UK. They'll probably bump up their pay like they did in the US. Um, so, you know, we went through some of the same arguments that we've made about Amazon in the past. Um, Prime members are now up over 200 million, up from 100 million. So you can buy it at 2018 prices. Prime members, are, members have doubled. E-commerce revenues doubled, ad business has tripled, AWS revenues have tripled. Um, and the sum of the parts is pretty simple. How you break it down, you've got um, the cloud is expected to do 52 billion of EBITDA this year. You put a 20 times multiple, that gets you over a trillion. Then you've got the e-commerce business. You multiply the gross merchandise value times 1.25. You get uh, close to a trillion. That puts you at 2 trillion. But it takes doesn't take any so you got a two trillion dollar business trading at a at a one trillion dollar market cap uh today uh but that doesn't take into account uh the size of the business growing so uh aws is doing like 80 
billion dollar run rate uh, that probably goes up to 100, but it, they've got a third of the cloud without the growth. That means that could be a two, uh, $200 billion business a few years out. Uh, that's that's going to be meaningful. So, you know, I think this thing becomes like a like an Apple, a $3 trillion business. Uh, it takes a couple of years. You're buying it at $1 trillion, so you make 200% over a few years. That's not a horrible thing. And if you're wrong, you make a double. Now, uh, U.S. in last place in 2023, like we've been pounding the table. China, China, China was going to outperform and we showed all the charts. Now it's happening. While many have their eyes fixed on a magical trend line that has struggled to break on the S&P 500 exclusively due to the tech heavy weighting, the rest of the world has broken above the similar trend line and are in new bull markets. We went through this two times in the last three video casts and you can watch them here. Just go to hedgefundtips.com and click on, on um, uh, podcast or uh, video cast. If you want to see that, you got to see the chart. Click on video cast. You can see all the video casts while you're there. Go to terms. Uh, this is opinion, not advice. Consult your financial advisor before doing anything, etc. I deal exclusively with accredited investors and qualified institutions who have different uh, risk profiles than uh, many of the people watching this. Now, um, so here's Hong Kong had that same downward trend line. It's broken out and it's running. Here's uh, same with China. It's basically the same. Germany, the DAX, everyone was worried about the uh, European recession and the winter. Well, they had the same trend line. It broke out. It retested. It's almost like China's a little behind. They've got to do a little pullback here like, uh, like uh, Germany did and then break out. Same thing with United Kingdom, who everyone was bearish about. Uh, massive breakout to new highs actually all all-time new highs uh mexico all-time new highs same thing it did the pullback here and now it's broken out again uh s p is the only one because of the tech weighting but i think that's going to change imminently and we're going to see this type of action happen in coming months and it's going to shock everyone for the reasons that i said they're going to say how can this happen when earnings are still going down because it happens every single time market's a discounting mechanism get a history book Despite the Fed's relentless efforts to slow down the economy and talk down markets, the Chicago Fed's National Financial Conditions Index, which provides a comprehensive weekly update on U.S. financial conditions in money markets, debt and equity markets, and traditional shadow banking system, is stay, staying tame and signaling improving conditions. You see it here rolling over. Same with credit spreads rolling over. We've covered this chart many times. You know, heart attack, then aftershock, conditions improve, equity markets go up. Heart attack, aftershock. Um, conditions uh, continue to improve, equity markets go up, heart attack, aftershock keeps going up, heart attack we had in 2020, aftershock we had in 2020, 22, uh, conditions are coming down, equity markets are going to go up. Uh, tech, of note, for the S&P to, and by the way, uh, credit markets are always smarter than equity markets, and that's telling us everything we need to know right now. Of note, for the S&P to turn, tech has to begin turning. Semiconductors have started to lead the way. If you remember, in October and November, we were pounding the table. Uh, and this table from Morgan Stanley may be telling us why. We may be at an inventory peak, and that's when the uh, semiconductor index bottoms. Uh, and this position is working. So what you have here is the trend line. They broke it. They back-tested. Now they're breaking out to new highs. You couldn't give a semiconductor away in October or November. Uh, same thing here from Matt Sermonara, works for Tom Lee over at Fundstrat. Tech has led all equity market bottoms. 
Um, and he's talking about breadth improving for tech while uh, it's declining for the Dow. Here's the uh, bullish percent of uh, tech sector. It's starting to approach uh, highs again, which is good. And here you can see a better indicator with the technology stocks above the 200 uh, percentage uh, S&P technology stocks above their 200 day exponential moving average. You can see here, it looks like 11 and 12 where it was just making this bottom, but it took a while. You did this fake out and now it's grinding higher and then it led to a multi-year rally. Same thing in 2015 and 16, fake out, fake out. And then this, this noise here while it's getting off the mat and then multi-year rally and a similar type of situation moving forward. General data points here's from Carl Quintanilla uh, from S&P Global. Uh, the global economy will avert a recession with an acceleration in mainland China, which we've been pounding the table on. We said no one has 5% GDP growth from China in and the impact that'll have on Europe and China. That's why Europe is doing better than us in the short term. They're more um, uh, levered to China, particularly Germany, which is why you're seeing them break out. Monetary tightening will succeed in cooling inflation, allowing interest rates to retreat. Housing, mortgage lenders, all that stuff is going to rip. Global growth to pick up to a 3% pace in 2024, 2025. So you can see that here. You can see how much excess wealth is still uh, across the board from the wealthiest to the poorest are still doing much better than they were pre-pandemic. Uh, Fed can't hold the hawkish line much longer. The data will allow them. That's from Pantheon Macro. Uh, U.S. inflation has reached 0% in the last three months. Annualized uh, three-month change in U.S. CPI versus Fed's versus Fed's 2% inflation target. So you can see that there. Relentless gloom. There were more recession headlines in July of 2022 than in March of 2020 at the pandemic lows. And that's what we kept saying. And it's so interesting because we kept saying the same message from June until December. And uh, the market, actually most sectors and stocks bottomed in June. Biotech bottomed in May. Um, and if you look during that period, the, the market was basically flat for six months. Uh, and that's why it was the same story every week. Guys, people are positioned wrong. There's too much pessimism. Look at positioning. Look at this. It's worse than the pandemic over and over. Every single media appearance, every single podcast. And now we're seeing that play out. Um, market implied odds of a recession tumble. As goes January, so goes the year. You can see the years that it started positive. Finished positive and even more positive. Here's Ryan Dietrich with more data. And we covered this in detail with the CFRA research on media multiple times. So basically now, if you get all three triggered, we had the Santa Claus rally. We had the first five days. We're getting the, the barometer. All three uh, triggered means 12 months out on average, you're up 17%. And if we get February also on average, you're up 20%. February being positive. Sentiment uh, came down a little bit this week to 28% bullish. This is uh, this is bullish uh, because they're still pessimistic. Uh, bearishness went up uh, on the fear and greed. It's not at an extreme here. It is getting a little greedy. Uh, and then the National Association of Active Investment Managers. Let me just see where they are because they print that midday. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. We're going to do the AMAs, but um, so they're at 75. So they're getting closer, but they're nowhere near 100% or anything like uh, euphoria. Um, and that's that. So earnings, this is very important. Top 30 weights of the Russell small cap in the last 30 days are down 2.33%. But if you look at the price, 
you know, it's still down well below 200 here. I think this is just getting started. But the real surprise is this. The NASDAQ top 30 weights earnings in the last 60 days, um, the earnings were revised up by uh, 26 basis points in the last 60 days. And you can go by company by company and do it. And you can see which ones were revised up and which ones were revised down uh, in the last 60 days. And that, I think, is shocking to people and no one's talking about that. Um, okay, so what were we saying last year? Everyone was pushing energy, materials, and healthcare into the end of the year. They're all doing terribly. What did we say was going to work? What people didn't want, the last shall be first, communication services and consumer discretionary. And that's exactly what's happening. You got your Amazons in there, etc. Tech outperforming up 9 or 10% year to date. Um, and, and that's that off to a monster, monster, monster start of the year. And it's just beginning. So, um, you can see here year to date communication service or the last month up 11.82. You couldn't give these away. Then you had consumer discretionary. No one wanted to bid on the consumer up nine and a half percent information technology tech 7.45%. So top three were the worst. And that's, that's how we said it would play out. That's how it's playing out. Um, Okay, uh, some economic data, manufacturing PI came in a little bit better. What you're seeing here is bad numbers, but better than expected. Um, and that should give the Fed a little pause. Continuing claims were bad. That you know that should give the Fed cover it to do what the Bank of uh, Canada said. And um, uh, it's kind of sad that um, you know we have to follow. Anyway, it is what it is. Uh, let's just see if they make the right decision. Uh, core PCE prices came in lower than expected. And if you look at this, I mean, it's just more evidence over and over and over down from 4.7. It's just, it's just rolling over. Okay. And Canada's PhDs have figured it out. Ours are still trying to get the message. Although a few of them like Lil Brainerd are figuring it out. And, uh, you know, if she didn't go to do the national economic council, she would have been uh, chair of the fed, I think, uh, probably a slam dunk. And, um, okay, so we don't have time for earnings. Let's do a couple of the AMAs. Um, okay, so uh, Rich C, Tom, great program. Like your call on REITs. Any thoughts on BDN? Stock has been badly beat up. Trading like it will require a large dividend cut. Current yield 12%. My analysis indicates they should be fine, even with their new debt. Good properties in good areas, 90% occupancy. Strong and experienced management team training at two uh, two thirds tangible book thoughts. Um, I don't know if I had to do an office read. I'm going with uh, Steve Roth at Vernado, just like or or Boston Properties. I mean, just go. You know, when 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 um, the thing that I've been really successful with during periods of massive dislocation, I go as high up the food chain as possible. Um, I don't want to mess around with a, a tiny read, uh, Brandywine when I could by uh steve roth you know at with the same discount more bigger discount as a matter of fact i should look at this you know the theory i i don't know if i'd want love being exclusively in office reads i mean these are punts yeah i mean i guess you're not really getting juice out of just buying the in index um yeah so yeah, I would just go, I would go up higher on the food chain than that. I mean, you could take a punt on it, but if I have to be in offices, which I don't, and I would size this risk accordingly because 
you know, there is going to be more work from home. There is an excess supply, uh, but more and more businesses are figuring out that no one really works from home and they're getting, they're not productive and they're getting them back into the offices. So maybe Boston, maybe, you, you know, you do a small position. If, it, if you were planning on putting like 3% into REITs, you'd do like a half Boston properties and a half into Vornado. These are all office. So you're taking risk, but you know, you've got upside because these are going to be up you know, 100%. You're going to collect a dividend in the meantime. And even if they cut the dividend, it's still going to be meaningful money. Uh, so these are still very high risk, but I don't want to take that level of risk uh, with, with the smaller ones. Uh, Chris V, what's your take on CPS? Uh, we covered that. Okay. Um, what's your view of the Chinese EV industry outside BYD and Tesla, specifically NEO? Um, appear, this is from Ken Langdon. Um, I covered this last week. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, I don't predict what's coming next. And for me, um, all of these Chinese EV companies are an un unknown commodity. They're going to win. They're going to make it. But I just don't know which ones. And in the 1920s, when you had all these new car companies, thousands went bankrupt. And for me to think that I have an edge over which one's going to be the winner, I mean, it could be GM could be the winner in China. And then you're screwed, you know, because Chinese people love Cadillacs. They love Buicks. They love Lincolns. I mean, no one will buy a Lincoln in America. For all we know, Lincoln could come out with an EV and it sells more than Tesla and like, you know, Neos look better and they can swap out the battery. I don't know. I, I'm not in the guessing game. I don't buy businesses. Uh, I, I know a lot of people that listen to this love Neo and I think they'll probably be right, but it's not my investing style. And it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's right. Cause like some of them in 2020, I know, uh, um, Marcel, uh, made like, a 10 bagger on Neo. So like predicting what's next is, is a great business for some people. Bailey Gifford's done it right. Um, I don't know many, many more, but you know, Bailey Gifford got smoked last year, but over time they've made a lot of money. Ron Barron is a good guy at predicting what's next. Uh, but that's, that's not my knitting. I mean, Audi could smoke them. Mercedes. I, I mean, if I had to do that game, I would look for like an ETF of Chinese EV makers and just ride the trend, but they're cutting their subsidies. It goes in my too, too it's it's in my too hard pile. I'm just gonna pass on that, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy Neo. Neo could be another ten bagger again. I I don't know, but I don't play that game. It's just it's not a fat pitch right down the middle. I could I could swing and miss, and uh, that's not that's not my game. Um, next one, uh, CP uh, CPS same question. By the way, this is all traders. Like anyone that's listened to the thesis of why we're in Cooper Standard could care less if, if Cooper Standard is at $6 today or if it was at $25 today. It means nothing because the thesis hasn't played out and it's just starting. It's just starting the semiconductors are coming in. Yeah, we might have some softness for a few quarters. I don't care. What I care about is where is the stock trading when they're earning on a normalized basis, five, six, seven, eight dollars a share. Is it trading at a five multiple? I'm probably not a seller. Is it trading at a 20 multiple? I'm probably laying some off to all the people that are excited about the car business uh, and getting pumped that the stock's gone up 10X, 15X, and they want to buy the breakout sold to you every day of the week. Um, next, uh, question about Brazil. I've, I've covered Brazil a hundred times. It, it, it'll work, but it's it's 
the good is the enemy and the better is the enemy of the best. Um, so I've covered oil. I've covered Brazil. It's it, it can work and it'll work for some people. It's not for me. I don't want the government coming in and seizing that dividend for Petrobras. I'm, I'm not playing that game. I mean, it's paying 24% for a reason. There's a real risk there. Unless you have a governmental edge on what's going to happen, I, I'd probably pass number one. Number two, I'm agnostic on oil. I'd rather play some of these natural gas stocks that have pulled back if I have to be in, and I don't have to be in yet. I think there are better opportunities. Ite um, was wondering if you screen for low EV to sales turnaround plays. I don't do EV to sales. Sales is a useless metric to me. All I care about is margins, earnings, and cash flow. I don't care if they sell a dollar and they get 100% of that dollar in terms of free cash, or if they sell six gazillion dollars and they get you know one one thousandth of 1% uh, of margin. I care about cash return to me uh, is the name of the game. So so any metric to sales, price to sales, EV to sales is a useless metric as far as I'm concerned. Um, but people have built nice businesses on it. I have a friend who's got a mutual fund complex out in San Francisco and he's built a nice little business doing that. It's basically just another way to be a value investor, but I think a, a less precise way, uh, but uh, to each his own and uh, they've built a good business doing that. So with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. We tried to cover as much as we could in a short period of time. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Very grateful for you tuning in. Look forward to next time. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.